listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. All right, we're going to be working our way through Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 uh, this morning. And this is the birth of Jesus uh, being foretold by the angel Gabriel to, to Mary. Um, if you think now, last week um, we talked about um, the birth of John the Baptist being foretold to Zechariah. And we met to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were two people that were described as being very righteous and obedient to the commandments of God, but yet they found themselves childless. But God in his sovereignty sent Gabriel to Zechariah to tell them, your wife is going to have a, a son. And Zechariah was old, and Zechariah said that his wife was advanced in years, right, if you remember that. Um, and this was God breaking 400 years of silence because he had not spoken to his people in 400 years. Now, this is his first time speaking. And he gives this, Gabriel gives this prophecy to Zechariah very certainly that this was going to happen Zechariah doubted that. He asked for a sign. Um, the sign that he was given was that he was going to not be able to speak until his son was born. And then we learned about um, Elizabeth going into seclusion, going into hiding for about five months, I believe, to, to kind of reflect and to worship and think about all the things that God had done for her and for her husbands. And now this morning, we look at the birth of Jesus foretold. And what you're going to notice here right, is there's a lot of similarities and there's, and there's some differences between these two accounts, but you may notice more the similarities of these accounts, and we're not going to unpack all of those this morning, all right, that is really good homework for you to do. So if you're looking for something to do this afternoon or this week, sit down and read through both of those, the birth of John the Baptist foretold, the birth of Jesus foretold, and note all the similarities, but also note the differences, but before I get going too much further, I do want to read our passage for us this morning. Um, so I'd ask you to please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. And this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So I will read this for us, and then we will, I'll pray, and then we will have fun this morning in the Word of God. Luke wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David's. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with gods. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no ends." And Mary said to the angel, how, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us once again on this Sunday to gather, <laughs> to gather together as a church family, to, to fellowship, to sing praises to your name, to pray, and now to hear your word preached. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to be moved by your word this morning. Lord, I pray for the words that will be coming out of my mouth, Lord, the words that are written on the pages in front of me, Lord, that I would speak your truth confidently and boldly, Lord, that my heart would be moved as long as, as, long as in addition to those who are in this room and those who may be listening online. Lord, your word is truth, and you sanctify us in your truth. So we pray to that end this morning in your name. Amen. <laughs> All right, so as I was reading that, right, you may have picked up on some of those similarities. You may have picked up on the idea that th this, this prophecy about Jesus, there's, this, there's kind of a humility about what is written. Right? It's the coming of the Davidic king. This fulfills Israel's hope. It fulfills the Davidic covenants of this kingdom that was going to rule forever and ever and for all of eternity. We read about the creative power of God. We read about the uniqueness and the superiority of Jesus. And we read about the certainty of God's word. You may have noticed when I was reading, I emphasized some words. So there are a lot of similarities. There are differences. But let's have fun. Right? Let's have fun. Those first two verses, verses 26 and 27, like Luke did last week when we looked at the birth of John, uh, the Baptist being foretold, uh, Luke gives us a kind of an idea of what's happening. He kind of sets the stage, if you will, for this. Right? We meet some people. We meet Gabriel, the angel. Right? We met Gabriel last week, but he reappears now again. All right? We're in, we meet God. We, re, we learn that, angel, that Gabriel excuse me, was sent from God. And what I want you to notice there, right, theologically, there's something happening there, and that's called ultimate agency. And you may not care about that, but that matters greatly. Because what that is telling us is that God is sovereign over these events. Right? He is, this is His plan, and He is working His plan to perfection. So it is by, from God, and if you go down to verse 30... Seven, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. It's that same kind of idea. So the sovereignty of God brackets this entire section. This is God's plan for salvation. So we've met Gabriel. We're introduced. We meet God's, right? Then we meet Joseph, and we're introduced to to Mary, right? We we learn about the location that this takes place, right? It's a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, Nazareth was a small backwater podunk town that just happened to have a bad reputation 
right? And you may wonder, well, how can you say that it has a bad reputation? Well, if you would turn to John chapter 1, verse 46, right? Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So this takes place in a small podunk backwater town with a bad reputation. It takes place six months into the pregnancy of Elizabeth. Remember, God sent Gabriel to speak to Zechariah. Six months later now, God has sent Gabriel to speak to, to Mary. We're introduced to this man called Joseph, who Mary was engaged to. Joseph was from the house of David. That's profoundly important because that means the son that was going to be born to Mary, that Joseph would adopt and make his own, would biologically be the heir to the throne of David. This fulfills the prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7 about there being an eternal dynasty given to David's. And then we meet Mary. Mary, who is young, probably in her early teens, um, that is when, in that culture, that girls would have been engaged or betrothed. So she could have been 13, maybe 14-ish. Um, she was very average. Um, she was very unassuming. She lived in Nazareth and just lived her life. <laughs> there were two things that Luke makes sure that we understand about her. Number one, that she was a virgin, that she was sexually pure, she had been and will continue to be sexually poor, even pure, even during her pregnancy until she's married to Joseph. And we read that she is betrothed, that she is legally engaged to Joseph. And this, this engagement, which would have been very normal, very unassuming, would have taken place before many witnesses. And the only way that you can break this betrothal is through divorce. So when that moment that that betrothal took place, the day that that betrothal took place, Mary belonged to Joseph, and jo she would have been called Joseph's wife. The wedding would have typically occurred about a year after the betrothal. <laughs> That's what we learn in those first couple verses Right now, if we think back to last week, just briefly, right, we think of Zechariah. Right? Remember, Zechariah was a priest serving in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And you have Mary, quiet, young, unassuming Mary living in Nazareth, that small podunk town with a bad reputation. And God is going to use both of them. So who God chooses to use and how He chooses to use them has nothing to do with age, nothing to do with status in what you do and how you live your lives or even where you're from, Jerusalem or a small podunk town with a bad reputation. It should make us think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul says that God uses the foolish things to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. Right? This is God's plan for His people. The setting is simple, very, very simple and very unassuming, but the miracle is great. Right? Don't miss that. The miracle is great. 
And so now we get to verses 28 through 37. This is the announcement, and there's dialogue that happens here, so we're going to break this down a little bit as we work our way through. Number one, these first three verses, so 28 to 30, this is Gabriel's greeting to Mary. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was troubled by at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, right, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so Gabriel appears to Mary and greets her with two words that emphasize the grace of God. Greeting, which in the Greek is actually the word for grace. And then this word favor or O favored one. And what this means is Gabriel is telling Mary, Mary, God's grace has been given to you. You have been blessed with the grace of God. And he reassures her with, the Lord is with you. So he assures her of the enduring presence of God with her as she's received this grace and this blessing from her God. Now, similar to Zechariah, right, Mary is troubled by this. She's probably a little confused and a little perplexed and probably a tad bit unsettled with this, that an angel has appeared to her and is speaking to her and saying, you are favored and you have the grace of God upon you. And we read that she tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She pauses to try to understand and think through very carefully what this means to her. Right? The cause for her confusion is the greeting from the angel. Right? That she's heard that God is with her. She's heard that she was an object of his grace. And she's not questioning that, right? What she wants to know is, what does that mean, right? What are the implications that I am a recipient of God's grace, of His favor upon me? This this means something, and she's seeking to understand And so Gabriel tells her to to not be afraid. You have found favor. God is, is at work now, and God is going to be at work in your life. God has chosen you, Mary, for a special task. And this task is tremendous, and it's the best thing for you to do because it's coming from God. So you have no reason to be afraid. None. (laughs) Because you have found favor with God. And so she's wrestling with, what does this mean for my life? Right? Sometimes we need to take a step back and think about the grace of God in our life. Because we too can start thinking about things about like, I feel so small and so insignificant, God doesn't even know who I am. I seem so small and so insignificant, God isn't even really aware that I'm here, and so He has, he has no plan for me. Now, there's truth to the fact that we indeed are small. 
Okay? Not insignificant, but we are small. And you, you want to get an idea of, of smallness, I tell people, you hike Mount Katahdin, and you stand on the top of Mount Katahdin, and just kind of like look around, and you realize, I'm small. Right? I, I, I truly am. But you have profound significance because you're created the image and likeness of God. Right? So God has been gracious to you. He's been gracious. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and He's your Lord and your Savior, right, you understand the grace of God and His salvation to you and giving you that salvation and granting that to you. But there are implications to that salvation. You do have to live a certain way. Right? We are called to live a certain way. And we'll get to that in a few moments. So Mary is wrestling with the significance of this greeting and what this greeting will mean to her. And then the angel Gabriel continues in verses 31 through 33. This is kind of the first part of the announcement that he has for her. And he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And it's the same kind of language that Zechariah heard. It's this future things are going to happen, but there's such an assurance in the way it's going to happen, because remember, God is sovereign. This is from Him, right? You will conceive. You will bear a son. You shall call His name Jesus. He will be great. God will give to Him the throne of David. He will reign. There will be no end to His reign. Mary, this is going to happen. This, this Jesus is going to be born to you. He's the Son of the Most High. John the Baptist was a prophet of God, but Jesus is the Son of the Most High, which means as a son, he's going to share in the identity and in the nature of God. Now, Mary probably doesn't understand that at this moment. If you put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment, she's just trying to wrap her head around what's happening and what she's hearing. Right? But there is a profound significance to the words of Gabriel and Jesus being the Son of the Most High and of the kingdom that He's going to rule. He's fulfilling the Davidic covenant. The people of Israel, the nation has been waiting for this day. He's the promised successor to the throne of David. He has a kingly position, but his realm far, sur is far surpasses the realm that David had, and his kingdom is going to reign forever and ever and ever. Now, Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. Luke does not unpack like all the little nooks and crannies in here, like I'm tempted to do, but I want to keep on moving, because what Luke gives us here is just the facts right about the rule and the reign of this promised son of David, Jesus. This Jesus who fulfills the promise that God made in Micah 4.7, that the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. That nothing or no one will ever be able to overcome the rule and the reign of Jesus. No nation, 
no person, no business, no company, no cult, no false religion, nothing will be able to overcome His rule and His reign. No one will be able to overcome His rule and His reign and cause Him to seek ruling and reigning His realm, which is everything. Mary says in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Literally, how will this be since I know no man? Now, Mary understands, or we have to kind of go back a little bit here, Mary understands that she's the recipient of God's grace and God's favor, and with that, there are implications for her life. Mary understands and believes that she will conceive while still a virgin. There's, There's an immediacy to the way that Gabriel has made this announcement to her, right? She knows it's going to happen in the future, but it's the near, near future, That's not when she's married to Joseph. It's before that even takes place that she's going to conceive. Mary doesn't doubt the announcement from Gabriel because she does not ask for a sign like Zechariah did. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was educated in the Scriptures. Zechariah would have known that God in the past had granted children to couples in their old age. But a virgin conception was unheard of. Mary understood normal biology. Now, we live in a day and an age when that's getting called into question, right? But Mary understood, for me to conceive (laughs) takes a husband and a wife. So Mary, in this response in verse 34, is not asking, can you do this? She's asking, how? How will you do this? And that's different. She understands that she's been called to purity. She understands that. And she understands what it takes to have a child. So her question isn't, can you, but how are you? Right? Her question is actually building on her faith and what she knows to be true. That's why, like with Zechariah, Zechariah was disciplined for his unbelief. Mary's not. And so Gabriel continues in verse 35, and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
This is a work of God. That's what, that's what Gabriel is telling her, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you with creative power. He will come upon you. He will overshadow you. Mary, this God that brought life out of nothing, this God that created humans, mankind from the dust of the earth and created woman from the rib of the man, that God is able to create human life in your womb. It's God's glorious presence at work. And because of that, right, this child will be called holy, the son of God. (laughs) This child, this boy that you're going to name Jesus, is going to be uniquely set apart for God's purposes. God has a plan for this child, and He's going to execute that plan with this child, and He's holy. He is the Son of God. And so what Luke does here, right, is he portrays the birth of Jesus, right, from, from, from the very start of His existence, conception, And then now throughout the rest of the book of Luke, what he's going to do is going to to build on that truth and say, see, here's the person of Christ, here's the nature of Christ, here's the role of Christ. So he's building this argument for Theophilus in a very orderly way from the ground up. And it's the work of the Trinity. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and God the Father preparing you, Mary, to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Now, in verse 36, Mary, remember, Mary didn't ask for a sign, right? But, but Gabriel gives her a sign. And behold, you're relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. Listen to how people talked about Elizabeth. What was she known for? Barrenness. But Gabriel says, listen, six months ago, God did something amazing. That's how you know that this is happening. These two women, Mary and Elizabeth, who are relatives, right, their lives are now going to be woven and intertwined through miraculous births and the power and the work of God. So Gabriel can say in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is the work of of God, His sovereign control over His plan of salvation for His people. Nothing is impossible. It's a call for faith. It's a call of assurance. It's a call of confidence that, Mary, your God has absolute power Over all of his creation, he's got absolute power to do whatever he wants and however he chooses to do that work. This is God's 
work, nothing is impossible with him. It's the work of God, and so this explains why his kingdom as a son of David, but more than a son of David, right? He's like, he, he's the son of God. He's the eternal son of God. He's God in human flesh. It's the incarnation of God coming to this earth. His kingdom will, will never end. In this moment in our lives, right, when we admit and we believe Right in the existence of God means that we have to begin to deny the impossible. Now we live in a world, right, where it's very rational, right? It's kind of anti-supernatural, and so it's going to try to undo and, un, un, and, and poke holes in, in this account of the birth of Christ. They've tried to do it for years and years and years. But this points to the work of our God, who can create out of nothing, who can take a couple that's advanced in years and bless them with a child more than once. This is a God who can conceive a, a child in the womb of, of a virgin teenage girl. Right? This, this is our God, right, who took, right, our dead, rebellious hearts of stone towards Him and breathed life into them, who changed our lives who saved us. This is the work of God. So you have to begin to deny the impossible. If you believe in the existence of God, because God can do whatever He wants to do, however He wants to do it to fulfill His purposes. That's who our God is. And so in verse 38, we read the response of Mary. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord." Let it be to me according to your words. Right? She, she's accepting this. She doesn't understand it. Gabriel really hasn't answered the how question. He kind of did. But like she's, she's like, okay, I, I accept this. This is the grace of God in my life. I accept this. Right? And we think about how the, the risk that this involved. And we, and we, looked through that, we looked in that passage in Matthew that Nate read about Joseph. And the risk, personal loss for Mary. Joseph would have had every right to divorce her. But remember, the angel came and said to Joseph, don't. She could have a damaged reputation. Right now, she's from that small podunk town with a bad reputation. So they're probably like, oh, yeah, Mary, oh, yeah, Nazareth. No kidding, right? That's, that's right, the town of Nazareth. Right? Damage reputation, shame, disgrace, damaged goods. No one would want to marry her. She accepts it. But she accepts it in such a way that it's just it's so powerful, right? I am the servant of the Lord's. 
God has blessed me. He's, his favor is upon me. He's choosing to use me for his purposes. I am a tool that he's choosing to use to accomplish his purposes. I'm a servant of the Lord's. Let it be to me according to your word. And that is, by the way, an attitude of prayer that's based upon the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God. Even though she has unanswered questions, even though there's these seeming impossibilities around her situation, she's saying, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sights because this is what my God has for me. Because it's according to, to your words. Mary is submitting herself to, to God's will. Now, this makes her an example of discipleship. And that's one of the themes in Luke's gospel account is discipleship. Because Mary confesses and accepts the fact that she is a servant of God, that she's a recipient of God's grace in her life. And so she needs to obey it and accept it because it's from God. She's recognizing her place. She's recognizing her role. And she's recognizing in that moment that the best course of action for her life is to submit herself to the will of God and His plan for her. And, and this is not the first time this has happened in the Bible. Isaiah Chapter 6, verse 8 says, Here am I, send me. Esther, Esther chapter 4, verse 16 says, If I perish, I perish. Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Your people will be my people, your God will be my God's. Job, Job chapter 13, verse 15, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Mary, let it be to me according to your words. Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, not my will, but your will be done. We can't truly be disciples of Jesus until we accept His plan for our lives. He cannot be our Lord and our Savior if we continue to insist on ruling ourselves. We submit to Him and to His sovereignty. It's a faithful commitment to our God to humbly accept His words in our lives, to deal with the sin that is in our lives, and to trust Him, and to obey Him, and to serve Him.
So the question is this. Do we humbly trust him? Do we humbly obey him? Do we humbly serve him? God has done, God continues to do, and God will continue to do great things for His cause and for His glory and for His kingdom. And He can choose to use anyone or anything He wants to to accomplish that. He's looking for people who are willing to join Him. Are we those willing disciples? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the example that you give us of Mary. Lord, but how she, <laughs> how Christ is the ultimate example of faithfulness to you and obedience to you, who perfectly followed your plan of salvation. which meant that He came to this earth in a miraculous way as your Son, as the ruler of your kingdom for all of eternity. And He came and He lived that perfect, sinless life. And He laid down that life in accordance to your will. Lord, and we know that you accepted the sacrifice of Christ because you raised him three days later. That he met the requirements of your law. Lord, that he is the only way of salvation. One who could perfectly fulfill the law and one who was the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so it is only through Christ that we have salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. And you raised him. And he ascended to heaven. He's been exalted. He's sitting at your right hands, interceding for us on, on our behalf, <laughs> waiting to hear those words, go and bring my children home. And nothing and nobody can ever, ever, ever take that from him. And if we are in Christ, nothing and no one can ever, ever take us from his hands. May we be willing disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.